Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I can see on the uh, on the screen that you have your uh, recording companion with you today. I do my non-fairy recording companion. She's <laughs> on the floor. I've got the uh, the human baby, the littlest human baby recording companion. Wow. So. Eight, eight weeks old today, I believe. Eight weeks old today. Yes. Yeah. Growing so. and thriving. Yeah, he's massive. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's all going very quickly. Brilliant, well done. So yeah, sorry if you uh, end up hearing some sniffles and snorts and things like that, like yeah. you could a couple of weeks ago. That's okay. Makes it more human. Well, there you go. <laughs> Makes it more real. I don't think we can let this week pass without uh, acknowledging what happened in Texas in the no. small town of Uvalde. Mm-hmm. The gunman stormed into a what they call an elementary school. I guess we call it a primary school. Yeah. Went rampant with a gun or two. Killed 19 young children and two teachers and 17 others are injured. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. Yeah, I heard somewhere that this is something like the 26th sort of mass shooting in, in, in America. This year so far? No, it's the 26th school shooting. Oh, school shooting. the 220-something mass shooting. Because it's only like last week, there was that supermarket up in Buffalo, wasn't it? Yeah, there's been over 200 mass shootings so far this year. This is the 26th school shooting. School shooting. shooting. I mean... It's it's unreal, isn't it? I I was thinking that when Toby was going to nurse this morning, like... You don't send, I don't send him there worried that he, someone's going to storm in and shoot the place up, you know? But that's a genuine fear of parents yeah. at schools in America. Be. Like anybody could walk into that school and shoot, yeah. the, shoot everybody. So, <laughs> I also saw this thing earlier, which is quite funny, that in Texas, you can only own, I think, a maximum of five sex toys. If you own six or more, then it's illegal. But you can own an unlimited amount of guns. Like, how ridiculous is that? What planet are they on? And this is the same country in the same state that, you know, last week, two weeks ago, are saying that they're going to stop women from being able to have abortions because, you know, you shouldn't be killing fetuses and it's wrong. Okay, fine. So to kill ten year olds, kill them when they get into school. Okay. It just makes absolutely no sense. Make There's no sense. sort of the two sides of the argument just do not. The whole the whole thing is just bonkers. I just don't understand it. Yeah, what, what, what sort of society is it that allows this to happen? And and countless presidents have tried to tackle this, just don't get anywhere. And nothing will change. They'll never I, be able to change it. It's just too ingrained into too many states and <laughs> who they are I, well, as a culture. Yeah. It's it's no. got to be something to do with the easy availability of yeah. I mean, how does an eighteen-year-old get hold of like an AK fifty-seven or whatever it was that he had? You know, a why are they being sold? Who needs those sorts of guns? Yeah. Like, even if you are having it to kind of protect your house and your property, you do not need a gun like that to to do that. B why are they selling them to eighteen-year-olds? <laughs> like in this country, if you want to get a gun, it's so difficult, isn't it? To yeah, yeah, it's pretty impossible. Get hold of one. 
I do not understand it. And the fact that you can get hold of one easier than you can get hold oh, of, yeah. well, anything. Alcohol. I mean, yeah, Alco- he's, yeah. <laughs> he's not old enough to buy alcohol in some states. No. Yeah, buy guns. And well, I, know, I remember taking photos before of like, you know, how in like the back of Walmart you can pick up guns sort of things. And then yeah. how was it we had to go and you had to go like next door to pick up liquor? It was like in a different building. You had to go in and show ID and it was really like strict. Mm-hmm. It's really, crazy, really Absolutely crazy. sad and crazy, and we know it will happen again. Yeah, which is, which the, is tragedy. the awful, awful thing. We know it nothing's going to stop it, but no. it just, I just no. think like for the the parents who've lost their children, but also the parents who have to send their children to schools in America, who yeah. send them in every single day, thinking yeah. this could be lost. Time it is just a possibility. Yeah, yeah, that they're not coming home. No. In other news from the United States, slightly lighter, Nancy Crampton Brophy, who is 71, was found guilty of murdering her husband in 2018, I think it was. She was found guilty of second-degree murder. And the unusual thing about Nancy Crampton Brophy is that she is the author of the bestseller, How to Murder Your Husband. (laughs) So, yes, you can imagine the fun that people are having with that mm, at the moment. I kind of feel like I want to read it just to see what she says. <laughs> Not because I plan to do it, but just see if someone, find someone out. Said, someone said, well, you can't write a book about, for example, how to bake a cake unless you've baked a cake. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very anyway. true. <laughs> but the jury of seven seven women and five men took two days to... Uh, they were okay. Two days deliberation, but uh, nevertheless... That's she was found guilty of his murder, which is well, four years ago now. Well, in this episode of Dad and Daughter Do Death, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you about another female murderess. We've had, we've had a run of female murderesses. We have, yeah. We'll have to break this, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> so this evening, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you about Leonarda Cianciulli, okay. who is an Italian woman who was born on the 14th of November, 1893, in Montella, province of Avellino. Now, don't know much about her sort of early life. I don't know if she had any brothers or sisters or how she got on at school or whether she tried to kill the family cat or was a bedwetter or anything like that. But evidently, she did have a bit of a difficult start to life, as while she was still a young girl, Leonardo did attempt suicide twice. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, that's all I know about it. I don't know what the circumstances were, how she did it or whatever. But, um, yeah, so evidently she may have had some problems. As we talked about in our last episode, yeah, maybe mental health issues. Yeah. They would be diagnosed these days, but this is like over 100 years ago. So, uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, in 1914, she married a registry office clerk called Raphael Pansardi. But her parents didn't approve of that marriage because they wanted her to marry a different man. I mean, in 1914, she would have been 20, 21. So I don't know why she they're was an adult. Her. Yeah, the, her parents, or her mother at least, wanted her to marry a different man. But Leonardo claimed that as a result of this match that the mother didn't approve of her mother cursed her and her husband oh wow okay and we're going to see that uh, superstition comes into this story quite a few times 
So, uh, Interesting. So the couple moved to Lariano in Alta Urpiana. And they must have lived there quite happily for 15 years or so. But in 1930, their home was destroyed by an earthquake. Wow, okay. And I know that some parts of Italy, are, especially down the centre of it, are prone to yeah. earthquakes. So they moved to Correggio, where Leonardo opened a small shop and became very popular as a nice, gentle woman, a doting mother, and a nice neighbour. That's nice. <laughs> However, um, there's several accounts of this, and... and Credit goes to Murderpedia for the bulk of this story, but there are various versions of the story of Leonardo Cianciulli out there. And one of them claims that the reason that her and her husband, Raphael, moved was because Leonardo was found guilty of fraud and spent some time in prison. And when they came, when oh. she came out, they moved after that. So I'm not entirely sure if it was prison or an earthquake that caused them to move, but no, one way or another, they now live in <laughs> Corinthia. They had to move. <laughs> they had to move, yeah. Leonardo, during her life, had 17 pregnancies. Wow, that's a lot. Now, three of them were lost to miscarriage. Okay. Which meant that the other 14 were born live. Wow. That's a lot of children. But 10 of them died in infancy. Okay. So as a result, and I suspect she was deeply aware of the, the sadness that went with losing her yeah. children. Oh she God, was yeah. extremely protective of her four surviving children. Yeah, I bet she was. Even more so because when she was younger, as well as the curse from her mother on her and her husband, she had a warning from a fortune teller who said that she would marry and have children, but that all of the children would die. Oh, my God. Yeah, and reportedly... Not nice. No, it's, it's not, is it? And reportedly, Leonardo Tanchui also visited a gypsy who did palm reading, who told her, in your right hand, I see prison. In your left hand, a criminal asylum. Wow, okay. Leonardo was a superstitious woman. And she seems to have taken these warnings very much to heart. I didn't think they were supposed they could give like bad warnings. I thought they could only say positive things. Maybe that's any modern day ones. I, I I don't know, but evidently she's been told by two different yeah psychic type people that bad things were going to happen. Yeah. So in 1939, Leonardo heard that her eldest son Giuseppe. Oh was to join the Italian army in preparation mm -hmm. for World War II. Now, Giuseppe was also her favourite child, and she was determined to protect him at all costs. So she came to the logical and rational conclusion that his safety required human sacrifice. Oh, okay. I thought, you, like, she could break his legs or like, oh, the... <laughs> make him lame or something like that. Yeah, so could... that would have been one way of doing it, I suppose. <laughs> That's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, hobbled him somehow so that yeah. he, couldn't, he wouldn't be fit to fight. Well, yeah. No, she went down the human sacrifice route because based of course. on her superstitions. I mean, that would have been my plan B. <laughs> <laughs> and the victims that she found were all middle-aged women, three of them, all neighbours or people from the town that she that she knew through her shop and through oh my God. just being a sort of a 
nice sort of neighborly woman that people came to chat to and yeah, as i say because she had a shop and people found her very um, engaging people used to come and talk to her and, and some people say that leonardo chanjui was something of a fortune teller herself and okay. that all of these women the three of them came to her for help and right. some people say that yeah she was just a nice lady that people came and to talk to to then chat over their problems with and you know maybe she gives them some advice but whatever the reason Chen Chui began to plan the death of the three women that she had uh, selected. The first of her victims was Faustina Setti who was a lifelong spinster who had come to Leonardo for help in finding a husband. Now I, I think she was probably sort of middle-aged she wasn't a yeah, old lady. Yeah, she wasn't. Yeah, Leonardo told her of a suitable mate in Pola, which is a, another town, but convinced her to tell nobody of the news. And she further convinced Seti to write letters and postcards to relatives and friends. And the idea being that she'd have these prepared, and when she got to Pola, she would just send them out to say, "I'm here. I've arrived. Everything's fine." Don't worry about me. Everything's great. Okay. So on the day that uh, Faustina was going to set off, she came for one last sort of visit to Leonardo. Leonardo offered her a glass of wine, which had been drugged. Mm-mm. When uh, Faustetti was in a sort of a drowsy state, Leonardo Chanchui took an axe and killed Faustina. <gasps> oh my Presumably... Goodness. Presumably, you know, axe through the head or across the neck or something, but one way or another, she'd killed this friend of hers. Mm-mm. She dragged her body into a cupboard and there she cut it into nine parts, managing to gather the blood into a basin. Now, oh, wow. at this point, I have to say a couple of questions come to mind. Hacking someone up with an axe would make a pretty awful mess. Yeah. And h- how did she manage to contain that in the house? And, and my other question is, what happened to Raphael? I don't know. There's no record of whether he was still around or not. And uh, she was doing okay. this while he was at work or something, or whether he had maybe by this stage died. So bearing in mind, this, okay. is, um, this is 1939, isn't it, when she's trying yeah. to do this. So she's... She's in her 40s. She's about 45, yeah. 46. So um don't know. I don't know what uh, happened to Raphael. We just have to assume that he wasn't, wasn't around. Yeah. To, you know, he wasn't around or he wasn't an obstacle <laughs> or to Or didn't notice the scheme. <laughs> Leonardo Chanchui did actually write a memoir called An Embittered Soul's Confession. I guess it's wow, Italian okay. and that's the English translation, but uh, Chanchui described what happened in her official account. Mm. Quote, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. Nice. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had congealed, 
dried it in the oven, ground it and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made a lot of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit. So Giuseppe uh, and I also ate them. Oh, that's a grim. Was that part of the sacrifice that you had to eat the blood? <laughs> I don't know. You had to eat the blood. And, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what, what it was. Yeah. So some sources also record that Chen Chui had apparently received Falsina City's life savings of 30,000 lira as payment oh, wow, okay. for her sort of matchmaking services. I, I don't know how much 30,000 lira was back in those days. When lira was still a thing before Italy be, went to the euro, yeah, used to get a lot of lira to the pound. I mean, it was like oh, a, okay. 1,500 or something. It was, right. Lira was worth like tiny bits of a penny, I think. But okay. Sounds a lot though, doesn't it? 30,000 Yeah, lira. it does, yeah. So that's what happened to uh, her first victim and presumably... She then took these letters and postcards and um, posted them to so, yeah. make her friends and family think that, yeah, she's arrived at Polo and everything's fine. But she was in cake. But she was in cake. She, yeah. Well, and that was the other thing as well. I, caustic soda, which seven kilos sounds a lot, doesn't it? But yeah. <laughs> would it dissolve bone? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, it's. It, it, she says here that it, it dissolved into a thick, dark mush, but presumably that includes the bone as well yeah must have taken a is it just like an acid i guess or an alkali if it's soda i don't know well something pretty evil (laughs) well i was gonna google caustic soda does caustic soda dissolve bone and i thought "Mm, my my internet search (laughs) history (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true i'll take the risk (laughs) <laughs> and uh, along with my later do- uh, download of how to kill your husband, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get a phone just call. Just hope nothing happens to Richie because if it does, come oh on, God, can you imagine? From a very cursory Google, it looks like that. Okay, it's a possibility. So, uh, I hope I don't go to prison for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we can say I mean, it's, it's, we've got it. We've got it recorded. Yeah. We know exactly. Yeah. The we've got video evidence. It's <laughs> <laughs> very innocent. A bit later on, Leonardo Chanchui moved on to a second victim. This time, it was another woman called Francesca Salvi. Okay. Although in some records, I've seen her called Clementina Salvi. Okay. But, Sal, Salvi. Quite but, different <laughs> But nevertheless, uh, I'm going to stick with Francesca Salvi. Chanchui claimed to have found her a job at a school for girls in Piacenza. And like Seti, Salvi was told to write postcards to be sent to friends, but this time from Correggio, detailing her plans. So uh, maybe there was a problem with having them sent from somewhere else, because how could you say, I've arrived in Piacenza, yeah. but then it's, but it's got, got a, a postmark, postmark. of... of of Correggio. Yeah, that's an issue, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, so maybe that was a, a blip in her plan the first time around. But also, like Faustina Setti, Francesca Salvi came to visit with Chen Chui just before she was about to leave for her new job. And she too was dealt with in exactly the same way, given drug mm. wine and then killed with an axe. And this murder happened on the 5th of September, 1940. Okay. And the same thing happened to her body, hacked up, dissolved in caustic soda, 
presume the blood was used to uh, make cookies again. Okay. <laughs> this time, it looks like Chen Chui only got 3,000 lira from her, oh, okay. for her services. Whatever Should she be a couple of quid then? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Chen Chui's final victim was Virginia Cachopo, a former soprano who is said to have sung at La Scala. She's in Milan, isn't it? The Opera House in Milan. Now, for her, Leonardo claimed to have found work as a secretary for a mysterious empresario in Florence. Instead of appealing to her artistic side, I guess. Yeah. And with the other two women, she was told not to tell a single soul where she was going. Hmm. Mm. (laughs) So Virginia agreed, and on the 30th of September 1940, she came for her last visit to Chen Chui. And the pattern for the murder was exactly the same. She hadn't changed her modus operandi at all. Drugged wine. It works. Yeah. Glass of drugged wine, axe through the head. In Chen Chui's statement in her memoir, she says, quote, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbours and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, that's grim. Oh, my God. Imagine finding out that you've been, like, washing yourself with somebody else's body. Yeah. <laughs> From Virginia Cachopo, is reported that uh, she would have paid Chanchui around about 50,000 lira, together with some assorted okay. jewellery for her services in finding her yeah. this job with this mysterious, well, let's call him non-existent, yeah. <laughs> impresario in France. <laughs> There we go. Incidentally, I have absolutely no idea whether these human sacrifices did actually protect Giuseppe or any of other children. There's no record of that, although there are pictures of Giuseppe. So, um, I reckon if you did some digging, you could work out whether he survived or not. Oh, well, you'd have to do an awful lot, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, this was all going to unravel and come to an end inevitably. Mm-hmm. And the way that it did in this case was that Virginia Cachopo's sister-in-law grew suspicious at Virginia's sudden disappearance and that she had last been seen entering Leonardo Chichui's house. Okay. She reported her fears to the superintendent of the police in Reggio Emilia, who opened an investigation and soon arrested Chen Chui. Now, Chen Chui immediately confessed to the murders providing detailed accounts of what she had done. Leonardo Chanchui was tried for murder in Reggio Emilia in 1946. So that's quite a gap. Yeah, it the is, murders yeah. in 1946. I can only assume it's because of the war. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. But, but what happened to her in between time, I don't know whether she was kept on remand or whether it took yeah. that long to... I have no idea. But she remained unrepentant, going as far as to correct the official account while she was on the stand. Oh, wow, okay. (laughs) Now, I think this is a quote from like a a press article at the time. It says, at her trial in Reggio Emilia last week, 
Leonardo Chanchui gripped the witness stand rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details. Her deep-set dark eyes gleamed with a wild inner pride as she concluded, I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I guess that's what happened in a war, wasn't it? All the yeah. railings and all spare metal was taken, melted yeah. down and made uh, made into... Um, ammunition. Ammunition, yeah. Wow. Anyway, she was, of course, found guilty of her crimes and sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. Oh. Ah. the gypsy had told her. She wasn't put to death then. She wasn't put to death, No. The use of capital punishment in Italy has been banned since 1889. There you go. That's why she didn't get the death penalty then. That feels like really early to get rid of a death penalty compared to what the rest of Europe was in Portugal quite early. Early, yeah. Yeah. So, yep, she was uh, sentenced to prison for 30 years in 1946 and she actually died of cerebral apoplexy. In the Women's Criminal Asylum in Pozzuoli on October the 15th, 1970. Okay. So that was 24 years into, roughly, into her sentence. Wow. And a number of artefacts from the case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, and axes, (laughs) because I've seen the pictures, are on display at the Criminological Museum in Rome. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. And there's a couple of pictures, not many, but there's a couple of pictures of of those items and pictures of her victims and indeed pictures of Leonardo Chanchui herself. Uh, None of the bars of soap or the cookies remain, I'm afraid. Well, that's probably quite good. (laughs) And we know that the ladle went off to make uh, ammunition. (laughs) Yeah. Or, Or bits of fighting machines. Ooh. So there you go. That's the uh, story wow. of Leonardo Chinchu. I know we've had a run of sort of <laughs> yeah. uh, that sort of Women. era and the, yeah, that sort of style of murder. Maybe I'll need to find something else for next time. But I just find those sort of that that sort of era yeah. quite fascinating because it was at the time when they could still get away with it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You could. You probably couldn't get away with turning someone into soap now. No, I mean as soon as you try and bought seven kilograms of caustic soda i think that'll yeah. probably raise a few eyebrows yes yeah i think so uh, and and the mess yeah. i can't you, know, you hear some people that are cutting out bodies and everywhere is just covered in yeah who was it oh, i can't remember which case it was there but wasn't someone else boiling bits of bodies and the whole of the kitchen was just covered in a film of fat from the boiling process and the picture i've seen of the pot it was like a square sort of thing. It's okay. not very big, so it must have taken forever. So there you go. There's the story of Leonardo Chanchui. I hope you found that interesting, PB. That was really interesting. Thank you. I uh, yeah. I know it's wow. a bit light on actual facts and details, but the uh, general gist I think is yeah. uh, is right. And uh, if you're interested, or if anyone's interested in finding out more, then go and look her up. Yeah, I'll, uh, I will. I want to see some photos and oh, turning people into soap. 
Grim. So, yeah, I, I can arrange some photographs. I'll put them on our Instagram page. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. I'll put them on Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. And if you'd like to email us about this story or any of the others, you can contact us. At Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. We've had an email with some suggestions of cases to perhaps look into. So we will take those yes. on board. Thanks for getting in touch and thanks for being such a, an avid listener. Well, thank you very much for sharing that fascinating story. You're welcome. Um, I'll never look at a bar of soap in the same way again. <laughs> Join us next time when once again, Dad and daughter do death. Thank you.